Hi there, I'm Wendy Hobbs for Knowledge Counts, a podcast of the Canadian Institute of Quantity Surveyors. Today, we're talking to Diane Stendon Downey about project controls. Diane is currently working in Ontario, overseeing a multi-billion dollar revamp of a public transit system. Yeah, so yeah, I'm basically in charge of all the project controls in regard to a piece of the major Metrolink's RER program that's going on in Toronto. Um, basically, they're in the process of revamping as much of the the train system and bus system, light rail, um, supposed rapid transit. I've lived in countries with more rapid than transit than that, but uh, yeah. So they um, it they're planning to spend a ridiculous amount, like thirty billion dollars, over the next ten years to upgrade it all. So being a taxpayer, it's uh, it's kind of one of my things that's dear to my heart is to make sure that people get value for their money. So whether it's my client or the people, the population that's using the system, you want to make sure that they're getting value for money. There's lots of schedule constraints. So we're dealing with that. Estimates. Just uh, dealing with estimators. I deal with risk. So we talk about, uh, we evaluate the risks that are on the project, the near-term risks, the long-term risks, how we can mitigate them. And then I'm also dealing with document control and information management as a whole, and then uh, contract administration too. So... They got me doing a lot of stuff. What do we mean when we talk about project controls? In general, project controls are the systems, tools, uh, processes, procedures that help a project manage their cost, their schedule, and their scope. Uh, Basically, that's what when it gets broken down into uh, cost control, schedule management, planning, uh, risk management, um, estimating. They all interconnect with each other as an overall holistic, basically an, an attempt to do this uh, for the whole project. Why does Diane see it as important to have good project controls on major projects? The difference between good project controls and bad project controls is... Uh, Basically, if you have good project controls on your project, you're, there's no surprises in the money. So the money that you originally estimated that the project was going to be is the money that you actually end up spending. When uh, you set the original intention of having something delivered by a specific date, you actually hit that date. And the other part of the project controls, because as we all know, uh, change is inevitable, is managing that change. And so from the beginning of a project, when it is first identified of, okay, we want to do blah, and they go, okay, well, it's going to cost this much money, and we want to do it in this time frame, there's changes that inevitably happen. And so one of the big things about good project controls is that early identification of those changes, the early identification of what is the impact of change, so with how much it impacts the the cost, how much it impacts, whether it pushes out the schedule, and then the whole process is then how do we mitigate that change or make it less of an impact. And so when you have good project controls on a project, all of that is running fairly smoothly. There's no surprises. The project managers, the the people that actually make the decisions can make decisions to mitigate changes, mitigate risks that are going to eventually, that could have the potential of impacting your cost and your schedule. And that's what good project controls does. When you see a project where there's bad project controls or basically no project controls, 
they're, you're basically at the end of the project and you've spent more than what money that you had and you realize that you're going to be late. And as anybody who's ever heard about any of these projects that go over budget and are, are delayed, it's, it loses a lot of faith in the, in the people running the project that they can continue to run, that they actually have the skills and capability to run projects. And it, it's, a, it's a lot of reputational risk. And also taxpayers, right? So ultimately, this money either comes from taxpayers or it's coming from uh, your clients or other infrastructure organizations, whatever. Like the money's got to come from somewhere. And yeah, if you spend more than what you actually were supposed to, nobody gets happy. What tools are critical for someone working in project controls? Yeah, so change management is, as I said, it's a critical piece about good project controls. And the fundamental component of change management is establishing that baseline. It can be just what did we plan to do? When did we plan to do it by? And how did we plan to get there? So this is your scope. So what did we actually plan to build? Um, how much money did we think it was going to take in, at the very beginning? And then as you're going along on a project, the the critical thing is just to constantly monitor that. And the big part of that is monitoring, okay, well, we originally planned to build 10 of these. Well, now we're building 11. That's a change. And as soon as that's identified that we need to be building 11 of whatever it is, that you need to then put the put the question back to the team to say, okay, do we really need to be building 11? Why do we need to be building 11? And then what's that impact on the cost? What's that impact on the schedule? What's that impact on the risk? Everything. And it, it has a big fundamental uh, change on the overall project. And it can change the execution process too. So there's a huge amount of uh, importance to identifying change early and having the right people in the room that can make the decision of do we actually implement that change or do we leave it and we implement it at a future date. Now there's some changes that come through that are going to be to mitigate other changes. So let's say um, a hurricane comes through. Well that's a change that nobody really can can plan for, and that can change your schedule, that can change your your materials, your costs, et cetera. So what can you do to mitigate that? So there's things to, that you can do to mitigate impacts to uh, your schedule, and they might cost more. So there's that wonderful triangle that um, uh, that are the three points of the triangle that are very much linked between scope, cost, and schedule. And when you start moving any one of those points, you see the, cha- the the triangle changes. So if you start moving your scope, it impacts the cost and it can impact the schedule. Or you change your scope, you change your schedule and it impacts the cost. And so they're very much interconnected and uh, like change management is pretty much a passion of mine. And I've been on so many projects where uh, change management isn't really thought of right at the beginning of a project. And it's only almost when it's too late that a project starts to actually implement a change management process. And it doesn't have to be onerous. It just has to be something that it's a mechanism to basically identify those changes from what we originally planned to do and say, okay, what are we going to, how are we going to mitigate this? Is this going to ultimately impact our cost? Is this ultimately going to impact our schedule? Is this going to ultimately impact like the project's reputation, which can be can be a big factor in how we mitigate change. Change is inevitable on any project. 
We asked Diane what she felt were the most critical components of a great change management process. So the critical pieces to establishing a change management process are basically that baseline. So having your estimate broken down, what is the basis of that estimate so that you can measure against it, uh, your schedule baseline, what did you originally plan for delivering when, and your scope baseline, which is also part of your estimate, because if your scope changes, quite often your estimate changes. And with that, and also with your assumptions of, well, we assume we're going to get approval for blah on this date. And if that doesn't happen, that can push out the whole schedule. So the first step of the change management process is the baseline. And we call it, it's basically what you're going to constantly measure yourself against. The next most critical thing is some way of tracking the changes. And quite often we use uh, a change log and all it is is just something to track. You just fill out, it's just usually a spreadsheet, and you just fill it out to say, oh, this change was identified. Now, on some projects and some programs, they don't necessarily, they're tr they don't want to see every single change, but I always recommend put everything on there because it's a lot easier to add everything that changes and then identify, okay, evaluate it. It takes five minutes. You take a look at it and you identify, okay, is that a valid change or does it really impact anything? No, it's it's part of design development. We already accounted for that. So it's good. It can go off the list. But I always recommend you track everything. And I've had situations where I end up with two change logs. Um, one is the everything under a certain value or the smaller impact ones, and then you end up with the larger impact ones. And sometimes what happens when you have those two logs, um, the small ones all get lumped together into one that then gets transferred onto the larger log. And those larger, when you have a split of your change management system into the, the smaller, uh, smaller impact changes and the larger impact changes, the larger impact changes, of course, get a lot of visibility. And uh, but it's those little ones that can quite often add up and really it's the death by a thousand needles situation where you're going to end up having a huge impact overall on your schedule that you didn't really realize until you realize that, oh, no, this is delayed. Oh, no, this is delayed. Oh, my gosh, we have 20 delays on this work package. It's now going to impact the final date. Is there a difference between handling changes caused by unforeseeable circumstances, like bad weather, and those caused by clients changing their minds? There's the different types of changes, and there's the unforeseen or the one we have really no way to mitigate them, such as a political uh, environment, so such as a, a new election, so you get a new cabinet in, or a hurricane, or you're excavating and you find buried utilities that were not on any document. Those ones, a lot of people in the industry, they're very much more forgiving about incorporating those changes, so they don't tend to be the as scrutinized. Um, they're generally accounted for. Um, in the sense of, okay, yeah, we know there's risks. We try to identify the risks. And when those risks come to light, that's when they end up on the change log. Now for scope creep and or scope changes and or whoopses in design where an engineer made assumptions, they did a design, and then it came, when it was going through the checks, they realized, nope, that's not going to work. And it has to go back and be redesigned. Um, 
those ones generally you're handling uh, all pretty much the same. Like I, I treat every change the same. Like of course the bigger ones generally, like I said, get a lot more visibility. But even the little ones, I it's it's basically addressing them. Um, I generally uh, try to teach the team don't do the whole blaming thing. Don't point fingers. Change happens. People make mistakes. Whatever the change, the reason for the change, we just need to understand where the change is coming from, why we need to do this change, and then what's the path forward. And as long as you're keeping focused on that with every change that comes in, wherever its source is, you'll keep a very good uh, flow to your change management system, and you'll get uh, a lot more willingness to identify those whoopses and or those little scope creeps. Um, A perfect example is on one of the projects I was on, nobody really had, there was really no change management process at all. And when I came in, I was instructed to implement or take over the change management process. And I revamped it quite a bit. And one of the big things that came out of the whole thing was one of the engineering departments kept making changes to make it better. And they kept trying to make, well, it didn't work as well, so we rerouted the pipe to go this way because then it would work better. And as I love, I'm an engineer and I love engineers, but we do want to make everything better. And that is ultimately what we want to do. Um, But at the same time, it can be detrimental to a project that it's like, no, it works, it's constructible, it's safe. And then it's like the question is, so why are we changing it? And if it's just to make it better, then the question is, do we really need to do it? So that's why I always get people to go back to focus on why why do we need, where is this change coming from? Why do we need this? And is it absolutely necessary? Is there other alternatives? And if you keep focused on that whenever you're evaluating any change, whether it's a tiny scope creep item versus the client now wants purple elephants, uh, then you can you can address them accordingly. Client changes are f- tricky. Like client changes, that one can be tricky. So whenever a client comes and asks for change, Oh, this is another great one. So whenever I've worked on many projects where the client comes in and they have their team talking to our team and they've identified, they, they've, they're they reviewing the do- design or they're reviewing the drawings and they're like, oh, we want to change this. And quite often we agree to it without saying, well, wait a minute, this might cost more money or this might affect the schedule. And I got to the point where I think every single team member um, on the project I was on at the time got so used to me saying, so did you say to the client, for sure, we can do that change, but it might have a cost impact or it might affect schedule. We should probably evaluate that before we proceed. (laughs) they thought I was broken record by the end of it but I quite often would go into engineering meetings and I'd be so with that change do we and just the same thing oh yes of course we can do that change however it may cost more money and it may impact the schedule are you sure you want us to do that that change and it gets the client to think twice about asking for the purple elephant because uh, they might actually change their mind when they see the dollar value associated with it or they might see the impact to their schedule which if they are on a tight schedule 
that could they that could change their mind. They could say, oh, wait, no, I don't want to make that change now. We're going to incorporate this instead, and that will satisfy the requirements. So it really does go back to what, are the, what is the real reason, the justification for the change? And that really goes back to the source of the change and just asking those questions and teaching. I teach a lot of the, the team members how to ask those questions. When is the best time to bring someone in to handle the change process? The ideal time to implement a change management process is pretty much from day one. You need to have, like once you have that established, okay, what do I want? Now it does get tricky when you're very much in conceptual design. So when you're at the very, like, we're just getting an idea, we want to build a new train station and it's kind of right about here and we don't really know well, how many buildings is it going to have? How many platforms? Is it going to be a center platform, external platform? I'm using train references right now just because that's the project I'm working on, but uh, it's applicable to all. So conceptual design, uh, it's definitely trickier to have a baseline when your, your scope is very undefined. And so it's that's the, the challenge is, Yes, it's good to implement that change management process even from the beginning, but it becomes challenging when you don't have that baseline to measure back against. And that's where it's still, you need to have it, but it just gets fuzzier. So you're usually just logging the changes and going, okay, does this really impact us? And it becomes the assessment of the change. Okay, well, we're still in conceptual design. It doesn't really change anything, but yet it did change. It, it's something we wanted to incorporate. So it's also part of that scope definition as well. And it helps with the scope definition because then you're saying, okay, well, we had this big fuzzy. We thought we were going to only do this really big box of a station. Well, now we're going to do two boxes. And so at least now you can recognize that, okay, well, we did originally think it this way. Now we're thinking to go this way. How has using BIM and 3D modeling software affected the change management process? So BIM or 3D modeling with the the whole, we used to do the model walkthroughs all the time where you were basically walking through the model. And that's actually where a lot of those clash detections, those clashes were identified. I love the, my favorite one where they put a little person walking on the, the catwalk and they would have run right into a beam. <laughs> so just showing like basically user, so uh, operational uh clashes as well as, okay, well, we can't put, run this pipe because there's a column right there. Um, same thing with cabling and, and this and the piper happen to be on the same uh, tray and they're they're going to be running right into each other. So we need, a, we need to run one of these in a different location, things like that. And that's part of that design development. Um, I would definitely uh, identify those as potential changes. The big impact with doing clash detections is when you do them. Um, so there's a critical point in your design development where you're going to want to do that that BIM and the, the walkthrough and, and identify those clashes so that you're not finalizing your, your drawings and then identifying the clashes. So there is a point in design when I think uh, that that's really where they account for those kind of clashes and that they're going to incorporate any changes associated with those clashes. So there there is usually an assumed amount within the original baseline that we're going to have to do a clash de detection. And yes, there will be clashes. If you ever get in a an estimate or there's a, a plan and they don't have the clash detection in there, that's a risk. So if they're not planning to do clash detection and and looking at the BIM and looking at 
going through all of that process, then they're you're you're leaving yourself for a big risk for design changes down the road that are going to cost a lot of money. We asked Diane about bad change management. Probably my example of when change management went terribly wrong uh, was the project that I was brought into um, and there really was no change management and they brought me in to, to basically take over the change management process and, and get it going. Uh, this was a $6 billion project in the Middle East. Uh, it was supposed to be, and this is the part that made it critical, crit- made it o- very obvious of why change management was important, um, was it was supposed to switch from time and material because the scope was still fairly undefined. So it was go- supposed to go from time and material to a lump sum contract. Uh, and that, f- that turning point where it was supposed to change from lump uh, time and material to lump sum was supposed to be at the, we did a full complete bottoms up estimate, uh, including all engineering services, construction, materials, everything. And when we did the bottom up estimate, um, so when I first started on the project, it was a $5 billion project. When we did this bottom up estimate, it was $6 billion. So there was $1 billion increase in cost. And of course, the client said, what changed? What did what happened from going from five billion to six billion? And of course, that brings up the 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 change management log. They pulled up the change log. They pulled up. I was digging out everything. And at this point, I'd only been on the project for probably about three months. Um, so when I showed them what we could answer for, so the gap is one billion dollars. The changes that had been identified to date. Um, had only accounted for, I think, $300 million. So that's a huge gap of $700 million that we have no idea why we needed to spend more money. So I did dig, I, they tasked me with digging in a bit more and see where the real, like, uh, issues came from. And this is actually the project where uh, the, one of the engineering departments kept trying to make things better. And what I found is that it was a culture. So the culture of people um, on time and material projects is, well, it's time and material. The client's going to pay for it. Um, And whereas projects that are lump sum, a lot of the times it's like, oh, no, 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 this is our money. We're spending our money. If we do anything extra, it's our money. Oh, my gosh. So there is a cultural difference when you're on a time and material project versus a lump sum project. And there really shouldn't be because this is the perfect example of uh, a project that Yes, it was time and material, but it had the intention to become lump sum. So there were, of course, the questions about why on earth, what what was the $700 million change? And a big chunk of it was uh, the engineering piece of it. One of the disciplines uh, ended up doing twice as many hours, and we're talking hundreds of thousands of hours. (laughs) So they did twice as many hours. Um, as they were originally planning to do. Um, and then basically from that point forward, uh, we didn't. the project did not convert to lump sum because there was still a question of, okay, have we got everything then? 
have we like is this really six billion dollars or is it really seven like is this going to jump up again when we reevaluate this in a year's time so they held off doing the time and material conversion to lump sum for another year and during that year that's when i had already implemented the change management process i had to bribe engineering managers with cookies just to come to my meetings but it worked and it turned into um my meetings where we were discussing change actually were more popular and better attended than the project director's leads meeting where they were supposed to be talking about this kind of stuff along with a bunch of other things. But I had pretty much every engineering design lead uh, in my meetings because when a change was identified, the other disciplines instantly could identify, well, how's that going to impact them? And they could actually have the discussion right there, quick discussion to say, do we really need to do that change? Okay, yes, it's coming from here. So we hashed out a bunch of the changes right then and there in that meeting. So now we're actually now have a change management process. We've identified these changes that have come through over the next year. We do another bottom-up estimate a year later from the when I first started. And there's now, it's gone up to $6.4 billion. So there's $400 million more for this project. And then, of course, the question is, what changed? At this point, though, because I had a change management process, because I was logging everything, when we did the gap, there was only, I think it was $50 million difference that we could not account for between the changes and what the gap was between the last estimate and this estimate, which the project directors were much happier about than the previous one. So this the project did eventually convert to lump sum. I moved on to some another project after that. But that's a perfect example of how something can be so terribly managed in regard to change, but how quickly you can turn it around and get a change management process going and working. And yes, it might require bribing with cookies, but it worked. How important is it to have all the major players in a project at the table at the same time? It depends on the type of project and uh, where you're at in the project. But yes, like at the when you're in a detailed design phase, it's important you have all basically the design leads. So the mechanical lead, the piping lead, the civil lead, um, the architectural leads all in a room because they're the ones that are going to be able to, one, figure out, OK, what it, identify a change and then they're then they're going to be able to actually figure out well how does this change impact me and although it might be a minor change for one discipline it might be a huge impact to another one and so it's really good to have the people that understand the impact understand what's going on on the project on a whole in the same room so that's why in detailed design it's important to have the design leads in your when you're in construction it's going to be the different supervisors it's going to like it's going to be a different set of team members in those meetings when you're in conceptual design it's definitely a lot less uh, people need to be in the room to make those decisions um, but you're at the conceptual design you have a lot of uh, people putting in what they want and their desires and their wishes so it's there's a lot of push there's a lot of control that needs to happen when you're at conceptual design about what the desires and the wishes are that are that are being brought forward and how to then assess them and say yes we're going to do that and no we're not we're not going to do that like putting chandeliers in a train station versus let's just put this really efficient led lighting in so 
things like that. Another good example is um, uh, the designers wanting to put real, lots of glass in train stations, but if the operations and maintenance guys go, please don't. That takes so much more effort and time to clean the glass, and the maintenance of the glass in general just is going to take so much more. So they're like, that's fine if you want to put in that glass, but you better put more money in operations and maintenance so that it can account for that design development. So like I said, it all it's it's really you need the people that are going to be that can one assess what the impact of a change is. And two, you need the people that can make this decision to say, yes, we're going to go ahead with that change or no, we're not going to go ahead with that change. How vital is it to have operations and management on board during the change management discussions? Full life cycle cost is the most important thing, uh, like when you're evaluating the cost impact to for a change. And a lot of people kind of forget operation and maintenance, they or they kind of leave it out. Um, I've had, had discussions about cost impact, and they only looked at the design impact. I'm like, well, how does that affect construction? And they're like, oh, we don't know. We haven't looked at that. And then I always ask, well, what about operation and maintenance? And depending on the facility, depending on what you're building, will change the operation and maintenance impact of changes. Pipelines, of course, are getting a lot more uh, stringent on their inspections and their testing that has to be done on an ongoing basis going forward. So there's a huge cost impact of building a new pipeline, whereas if you're just uh, utilizing an existing pipeline, it's not going to be as big of an impact for your op- for your operation and maintenance going forward. But it is, imp- I think, very important to just keep operation and maintenance in the loop um, as part of the, the discussion, whether they have a say in much of what actually gets built and that's that's the part of the organization that they determine that culture quite often so you're really at the at the I guess at the whim of uh, the client's culture to say that oh no we want operation and maintenance in every single one of these meetings then that's great it's great to have a contact in your operation and maintenance so that you can just bounce something off of them to say hey there's we're building this instead of this how is that going to impact? your your side of things when this gets turned over to you. Thanks, Diane, for joining us today. For Knowledge Counts, I'm Wendy Hobbs.